Hello and welcome to the latest Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor M.K. Alon Tal. As a brief introduction, Alon is one of Israel's leading experts in environmental activism and in, and in academia. And we're talking this week ahead of the climate conference in Glasgow, which Prime Minister Bennett, leading a large delegation of Israelis, is joining that campaigning in Glasgow this week. Professor Tal has a long and esteemed record in this. He is the founder of the Israel Union of Environmental Defence and the Aravat Institute of Environmental Studies, to name just a few. He's also the co-founder of EcoPeace, Friends of Earth Middle East and the Green Movement, which we're going to discuss some of this, and most recently, a member of the uh, Blue and White faction in the Knesset. First of all, Professor, thank you very much indeed for joining me. I'm delighted to be here, Richard. So I wonder if we could start, kind of go back uh, maybe 30 or 40 years in, your, in the early part of your, of your career as one of the pioneers in environmental protection in Israel. Both, what can you tell us about that, uh, that period, both in a personal perspective and the state of play of how the campaigns, how would it look like um, back in the early 1990s? Well, I would say when we started uh, to sue polluters and, and really try to make legal activities a major force for change in the country, there were two major differences between the country then and now. First of all, there were a lot fewer people, okay? Probably about 4 million people less. So when you have uh, fewer people and less population density, you have more wiggle room or latitude for making mistakes. So today we see, for example, in the area of biodiversity, a massive deterioration in ecosystems just because the, the problem of fragmentation like is, is, is so much greater. And of course, 9 million people have a much bigger carbon footprint than five or 6 million people did. The second major difference is that most of the major polluters then were government corporations. And so we were ending up in a very complicated dynamic where we were taking on places like the electric company and the, the Israel chemical companies and the oil refineries. And these were all government corporations. Today, the lines are a little bit different because so much of these uh, polluting, polluting industries have been privatized. And that is also a very different, at least when you were dealing with a government manufacturer, a government corporation, you could count on having some sense of, of commitment to the public good. And when uh, today, when a lot of the corporations really are pursuing their max, their profit maximization, it's a much tougher, tougher line to take. Just to, again, just to dwell on the and kind of back it was when you started. What, how would you describe the level of kind of public consciousness compared to today? Well, Israel's always had a extremely high level of awareness with regarding to the wonders of nature, appreciation for nature, because so much of the Zionist narrative involved coming back to the land of Israel and reclaiming our identity as indigenous people, which meant creating a familiarity with the flora and fauna and the geography of the land. So I would argue that Israelis, even back then, loved the country and were as passionate hikers as they are today. What they didn't have was any understanding with regard to the impacts of, of um, consistent, even um, chronic pollution, air pollution, water pollution, and um, hazardous chemicals, marine contamination. So those were issues which the public didn't get. I think today's generation, particularly the younger ones, are much, much more in tune with the consequences of the human, um, how should I say, exceeding our natural uh, carrying capacity in this very small country. Well, we'll, we'll get onto some of that uh, shortly. 
Um, just going through kind of your, your background, in the early 2000s, you set up the, uh, the Green Movement, because that was the first foray, I would say, into international politics, if I'm correct. Just tell us about the, how, that, uh, how that evolved. Well, there was another party in the country called uh, the Greens, who had started working at the local level. And we felt that this party had a lot of problems associated with it. It was not democratic. It was headed by somebody who we felt was a ne'er-do-well and was ultimately convicted of, of fraud. And yet he was the deputy mayor of Tel Aviv at the time. And our concern in the environmental movement, and this was across the board, was that there was a growing interest in environment in the national political scene. And we felt that they were, how should they put it, inappropriate representatives of the real uh, message, which was a much broader uh, message of sustainability and socially uh, uh, commitment to social equality and whatever. And so we went to them and said, let's work together. We, uh, the environmental movement at the time, I just uh, finished being the chair of the umbrella organization of 100 uh, organizations in Israel and the green organizations. We tried to make it work with them, but they refused to open up their party and make it democratic. And so then we established the green movement and we almost got in the Knesset. Um, we had some very good polling just prior to it, but in the end, that was the election where Sippy Libney was going against Bibi Netanyahu and many of our supporters felt at the end of the day, they had to go back to Sippy Libney because they felt that too much was at stake. And that's what really changed my perspective over time that as important as a green party is, until Israel evolves, to be the kind of country where defense and security and right versus left doesn't really define voters' decisions. We, uh, those of us who wanna be green environmental candidates would do well to find a large political party which has a broader agenda and find that as our vehicle for getting into the Knesset. I tried it in a couple of cases and I'm delighted that the blue and white party it was as a party in which I feel extremely comfortable and has given me full reign and freedom to pursue a, my agenda of sustainability and environmental protection. That's great. I mean, as you said, that, that's a very interesting model and lesson that obviously to get over in Israeli politics, you need the uh, three, as is now, 3.25%, 3, 3 four seats to get over the threshold. So as you say, kind of entering into a mainstream party like Blue and White is obviously a very um, smart uh, um, access right. into mainstream politics. You're right. International listeners might be not aware that that Israel, in order to discourage a small and splintered um, and factionalized <clears throat> parliament, did require a 3.25%, it's extremely high. And uh, the result is, is that if you get less than 3%, and that's a lot of votes, that's like 120,000 votes, if you get less than that, none of the voters that voted for you count. And so Israeli, um, Israeli voters, particularly uh, the young green ones are savvy. And at some point they said, we cannot waste our votes we, it's just too valuable a, a commodity. And then I felt also as chairman of a party, it was just irresponsible when I looked at polls and said we're one and a half, two percent, which is remarkable, but it's not enough. And so we really had to find a way to join. First, we joined with a party called the Hatsunua, the movement, Sibi uh, Libni's party, and then we moved on. And recently, I've been joining the Blue and White Party, which, of course, is uh, one of Israel's largest parties. How did that just how, how did that come about sort of joining Benny Gantz, Blue and White? Well, I have a, a personal connection to Benny Gantz. When I first moved to Israel, I was in the paratroopers and I had the youngest commanding officer, the youngest company commander in the paratrooper history. Benny was 22, I was 21, and he was uh, a remarkable leader. And I, at the time, admired him greatly. And as years went on, we sort of stayed very vaguely in touch. But when he decided to make his foray into politics, basically I showed up at his campaign headquarters and said, whatever he needs to help him, 
he is the person that I want to see running the country. And so I'm very, very uh, lucky that uh, sometime later he put me on his list and took three elections to get there. But by the fourth, uh, I was still on board and I was in a high enough place on the list to, to get into the Knesset. And I, I feel very, very privileged. Absolutely, understandably so. Um, going back also to some of your experience working within the environmental world, certainly the movements in Israel, you also had contact with some Palestinian environmentalist groups. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I still do. We, we established the Arva Institute for Environmental Studies uh, back in 1996 at the heyday of the euphoria surrounding the Oslo peace process. At that time, there was a sense that uh, the environment was really a regional issue and that we wouldn't make the kind of progress we need to make if we didn't work together with our neighbors. I mean, really, it's true that if you take a look at Israel, it's no bigger than a postage stamp ecologically. And I think those, that impulse remains true to the fact the idea was the time that we would establish an institute that would uh, teach students. Already by then I had uh, helped found an organization called Eco Peace Middle East, which has offices to this day in Tel Aviv, Amman, and in um, Ramallah, which brings together Israelis, Jordanians, and Palestinians to work together. Uh, since that time, the indefatigable Gideon Bromberg has done an amazing job of leading it. I've been on the board really uh, for almost 25 years, I guess, until the Knesset rules made me step down. But there is so much work can be done. And I just want to say that when you sit down with colleagues, be they Jordanian, Palestinian, Egyptian, and you realize you have so much in common and that your ultimate aspirations are, are so totally consistent, it is extremely heartening when one thinks about the future of the region. And now that there has been a new government, and I'm proud to be part of the coalition that brought in the new government, I, that is making, uh, returning to the healthier times of, of discussion. We don't agree with every, uh, everything with the Palestinians and Jordanians, but we're starting to renew the kind of, of uh, trust building initiatives that were very, very, very common in the 1990s. I believe we'll return to those days when we start working together on a regional environmental agenda, which includes cleaning up our streams together, reducing air pollution from, uh, from all sources, uh, and trying to preserve biodiversity in common efforts. And you have, uh, and are your partners on the, uh, at least on the Palestinian side, are they, uh, are they accepting, are they, are, they, are they happy to work with Israeli partners? I think so. I mean, uh, those who have been working with us for years have taken great personal risks because it's not always popular, but uh, sure. it's, uh, for progressive Israelis to work with Palestinians or Jordanians, that your stocks only go up and your status only improves because people think that's a great thing. It's not so clear that that's true of our friends in, in, in Palestine and Jordan who try to work with Israelis, but who work with Israelis. But I think they should have the courage and the vision to realize that that's really the only way forward for environmental progress. Just on, the, on, on a couple of questions on the current, the current government and their approach to, to environmental policies. Last week at the cabinet meeting, um, we saw the prime minister unveil hundred point plan. Can you give us the highlights and what and what's your what do you what do you what are your thoughts about the plan? Well, there had been a, a decision in July which said that by 2050 Israel would reduce its emissions by 85 percent, which is still a significant number. But all around the world, in, in the lead up to the to the Glasgow uh, summit, climate summit, nations around the world are realizing that in the long term we can't have any carbon emissions because 
those emissions stay in the atmosphere for 30, uh, for, for 300 years. And so that in the long term, the economies have to learn how to get by without making emissions or those emissions which are released should be uh, sequestered through other activities, be it uh, tree planting, whatever. And I think the prime minister uh, Bennett realized that if Israel wants to be a, a leader in the technology field surrounding clean tech and, and climate uh, mitigation, he needs to not just talk the talk, he has to walk the walk. In any event, on Friday, we had a sort of a, a gathering of all the members of the coalition as we gather our strength to the budget that's coming up, the budget voting this week. And I came up to him and I told him how pleased and, and, and indeed how excited I was that he had made this declaration. It actually happened Friday morning only. And he looked at me and he said, alone, and he switched to, to English, which is both of our mother tongues. And he said, we had to do it sooner or later. And I'm so glad that he did it sooner. And so I told him so, and I'm delighted that the Israeli government in general brings with it a broad new, I would say, um, understanding that we just don't have time to, to put off this issue and leave it for our children. And I see it with the, the Minister of Transportation, Merav Michaeli, who's, who's working very hard to electrify the, the fleet and the Minister of uh, Energy who got 2.5 billion shekels for energy efficiency and, and renewable energy incentives. And of course, our Minister of Environment, uh, Tamar Zandberg, who's doing a terrific job as a spokesperson for all these interests. So yes, I believe with this government, oh, I should say uh, most importantly, my own party chair, Benny Gantz is a blue and white party, uh, is the, the Minister of Defense. And for the first time he's talking about using the tremendous land resources in the bases of the army, not on the, the firing zones, but in, in bases, which should be serving as small uh, renewable electricity plants and using those lands for, for, for solar panels and wind and whatever. So I think that we're seeing some remarkable uh, cooperation and I, I can't uh, wait to get going after we pass the budget to start taking these uh, verbal commitments and, and translating them into actions. Fantastic, that sounds very, very encouraging. Just one other issue, um, I suppose that's on the agenda also between Israel and Egypt and Jordan is the uh, the offshore natural gas pipelines. I imagine that's less less popular in your circles. What's your what's your take on that kind of balancing out the economic interests and uh, regional interests within our allies against the environmental concerns? Well, I have concerned uh, in the past when Israel was uh, taking an Egyptian oil, uh, a gas and there were, the security there was very lax. Several times it was sabotaged and there was massive release of methane and that causes a huge carbon footprint. Um, so, so natural gas is a, considered to be a transition fuel. It's nothing we want to do in the long term, but its carbon footprint is lower than coal and, and heavier uh, oil. Um, I'm hopeful that very soon we will be able to utilize the breakthroughs not only in renewable energy, but also in storage. And there's a lot of Israeli companies doing some exciting things so that we, although we have access to massive quantities of natural gas, we can leave that under the Mediterranean Sea for future generations. Thank you. Um, just looking at the uh, the conference in Glasgow, um, what does what successful kind of re re resolution or results outcome are you looking for that will you will consider a successful conference? Well, that's a good question because you know the, there is tremendous pessimism. If you read the press in the last couple of days, it's a hard time uh, for the for the fuel markets. The prices have gone up. Many countries are expecting uh, to have fuel shortages. Maybe they move too rapidly to uh, renewables. And also there's a great deal of distrust between the United States and the, its neighbors. And so we need to, uh, you know, they tell us to lower expectations, but quite frankly, I don't think we can. 
And I'm very pleased that Israel at least is coming into this, having been, I would say, leveraged by the process. And it was Glasgow, which really pushed the government to do a lot of things, including release a very, very, um, I should put it, stern critique of his government policy by the state comptroller, which was was released on mm. Tuesday at a, at a ceremony that I chaired at the Knesset. So we now have a, a very, very 600 page detailed critique of how Israel has been in the past with recommendations to how we can improve. And with the kind of uh, spirit which with Prime Minister Bennett has brought to the issue, I believe that after we come back from Glasgow, that's when the real test begins. We can start realizing the same kind of promises we have to uh, provide a planet for our children that won't leave them with climatic cacophony. Um, thank you. Just, I mean, what do you think on that on the global stage? What role can Israel play um, in advancing an environmental agenda? Well, I think that Israel, first of all, needs to start by being a good actor. Once we've met our commitments, then we can start, you know, having the maybe thinking beyond. And if we are thinking beyond, clearly Israeli technological innovation should be manifested in the global efforts. I can think of a few areas where Israel is sort of ahead of the curve a little bit in the area of dry land forestry, uh, which is very, very important as we think about carbon sequestration and Africa's participation. Here, what we know have learned from the, the Jewish National Fund and planting in the desert over the years could be extremely valuable. Other countries don't seem to be able to plant trees as well as we do, to be perfectly honest. Also in terms of Israeli innovations in agri-tech, we're just getting started, but the notion that you should be able to integrate solar panels, agro-voltaics, uh, agro where you can integrate solar panels into uh, fields in order to both generate electricity and sometimes even improve the yields because if you shadow it very strategically. So that's an area, and of course, water, where we know how to do a lot of things like desalination and drip irrigation. Now we just have to find ways to do that with even greater energy efficiency. So these are some of the areas where hopefully the Israeli contribution will be meaningful as the world moves to reduce its emissions and return some balance. Just a couple of questions while, I, while I've got you on kind of general, general politics. Um, first of all, as a new member of the Knesset, what's it like, uh, the environment in the Knesset at the moment and, uh, and being part of the coalition? Well, we are very fortunate in the coalition that almost in every party, not almost, in every party, there is at least one champion who's uh, a partner in these matters. I thought I'd come to the Knesset as somebody who was a lifelong environmental activist and have to be a lone wolf, as was often the case in the past, but not so. And so we have a, a WhatsApp group, which we call Green Legislators, and we're splitting up the topics so that we'll be more efficient. I'm basically focusing on open spaces and biodiversity and your and your eye, Lahav is uh, from the Shatid, is working on the issue of climate change, and and everybody takes on their part. So I think I have a tremendous amount of support amongst my uh, fellow legislators. And then, as I mentioned, we have government ministers, mostly women, I might add, who are in key positions and who get it. And that's really a, a tremendous thing when you sit down and talk with a minister, and 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 you don't have to convince them to do very basic things, and you can push each other. So I think that I'm very hopeful that this government of change will not just be a government of change in terms of bringing the nation together and creating some sense of national unity, but also creating a harmony between the people of Israel and the land of Israel. That's, that's great to hear. Um, one final question. You're going to be very busy this week, I imagine, voting on the budget. Um, and that will obviously, if it passes, bring a, a great deal of political stability much needed to the system. How confident are you that the budget will pass? I believe it will pass because we know what the alternative is. We, nobody wants to rush back to elections. The kind of paralysis that it would uh, engender 
Well, we're seeing the results of it. We, we are having what they call the arrangements law. It's actually a 42 separate laws with major reforms, just things that never got taken care of. Things like raising the woman's retirement age. Does it make sense for women to retire at age 62 when their life expectancy is over, you know, for many of them over 90 now? And uh, there's so many areas also in the environmental realm, things like taxes on carbon, uh, uh, congestion fees so can encourage people to get, get out of their cars. And, and of course, building a metro so that we will finally have the kind of underground train system that we desperately need to get out of the gridlock and reduce the emissions associated with that. So there's just so much that we need to do. And I think that all of us, of course, there's compromises to be made and I would probably draw the map of a future Israel and Palestine different than other people in the coalition, but what we agree upon totally dominates what we disagree upon. And I'm uh, extremely proudly part of this coalition and in the area of environment and climate change, we are going to make a difference. It is going to be a different place here in five years than it is now. After we've uh, realized so much of what we said, we have a commitment in our government platform to create a climate law and God willing, uh, we'll get through this coming week. It'll be brutal because of course the opposition is gonna do everything it can to try to prevent us from passing a budget because if we don't pass a budget, the government automatically folds. But I believe we will. I think we're gonna um, outlast them. And uh, when we wake up a week from now, hopefully I'll be in Glasgow and we'll be looking at at least another year of political stability in Israel so we can start moving this agenda for sustainability forward. Fantastic. Um, Alon, thank you so much for talking to me today. All righty. Thanks to you and all the listeners.